Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you are interested in getting some great experience outside of the classroom, I encourage you to check out the University of Colorado School of Medicine's Wilderness Medicine program, one that I teach at. Uh, I, I go for an hour and a half, two hours, and teach all about the application process, the pre-med process, personal statements, etc. You get to go up into the mountains for a week and run around the woods and help treat trauma patients and learn how to do wilderness medicine, if that is something that you can do. You get some shadowing experience, some EMS ride-alongs, tons of great experience, and they also offer scholarships if you qualify. You can find out more information by texting the word WILDMED to 44222. Again, if you text the word WILDMED, all one word, to 44222, I'll get you a link to the University of Colorado Wilderness Medicine course, and you can use the promo code MSHQ to save some money on that course as well. The pre-med year, session number 342. Hello, and welcome to the pre-med years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to the pre-med years. Thank you for taking some time to join me today. If this is your first time here, you are in for a treat with our guest today. If you've been listening for a while, you will understand that our guest today will resonate a ton with the messages that I've been sharing with you over the last six plus years on the podcast. Today, I have Dr. Sunny Nakai on the podcast. She has been around medical school admissions and the medical school world for a while now, formerly at Stritch at Loyola in Chicago, and now at the University of California Riverside School of Medicine. Dr. Nakai and I talk a ton about the medical school admissions process, mistakes that students are making, and what you should be focusing on when it comes to your applications. Let's go ahead and jump in and say hello. Sunny, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am thrilled for you to be here because you are hopefully going to be a voice of reason for everyone listening to this, thinking that they have to be the perfect pre-med student and it's the only way to get into medical school. And I, I'm excited just with your background and in the book that you wrote that's coming out hopefully 
sometime soon and and so much more. So thank you for for taking the time to to join me. Let's Absolutely. start with who you are and and how you got into this whole med school world. <laughs> well, that's a small question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll so, start easy here. <laughs> so my very first job out of undergrad was working in an office of diversity and community outreach getting younger kids in the pipeline excited about science. So my first professional day on the job, I kid you not, we dissected raw cow eyeballs, like fresh cow eyeballs yummy, um, with high school students in a lab at the University of Utah School of Medicine. And I loved seeing what that hands-on exposure really sparked in mm-hmm. youth. And I got to work with medical students who were themselves pretty passionate about getting students involved and excited about medicine and um, just learned about representation and how difficult it is to get in and the barriers and just really found my home in medical education very early in my career. So almost 20 years later, I'm, I'm still doing it. <laughs> did, did the thought ever cross your mind of, of like, I, maybe I should join them and, and go on this track as well? Good question. So I do talk about this when I tell students it's really important to explore your career tracks and just know that it's what you want to do. And the deal breaker for me in medicine was I really don't do bodily fluids at all. (laughs) Um, And if I'm honest with myself, I don't really like sick people. So my ideal day at work does not include people who don't feel good and who are coming to me wanting me to fix it. Like hats off to all the special, really super (laughs) compassionate people in that way, because that is not me. So I feel like I did everyone a favor by kind of staying on the education side and not trying to be a clinician. (laughs) But it sounded like you liked science and wanted to help people. I thought that's what it means to be a doctor. No. (laughs) Well, you know, I do love science and I like helping people, but medicine is so much more beyond that. And um, as you know, there's a gritty aspect to it and emotional toll to it. And I think Um, You know, I also have a social work degree. I pursued social work for a while and I did clinical social work with the veterans with PTSD for about a year and a half. And at the end of that, I realized that I love social work, but it didn't love me back. Um, and I was good at it, but the, the personal toll that it took on me was, was too much. And I thought that there had to be something that was a better fit, uh, for my lifelong term than something that was emotionally taxing, um, for me, the way that, that clinical social work was. So I shifted into more of a policy side, community partnerships, um, campus partnerships work and, and finished my degree with a wonderful, um, foray into community partnership building. Nice. Now you have uh, some background, some experience in medical school admissions and your book coming out as kind of a behind the scenes of, of what it's like to be on the admissions committee and to hopefully kind of remove the mystery. And that's my biggest like goal of this podcast with the medical school headquarters was to remove the veil of secrecy that students think is there that um, really isn't. There's just a lot of lack of communication, really, I think. Um, so... For you, with your experience in admissions, I want to know what you think is is probably the the biggest mistake that students are making when it comes to applying to medical school. You know, I think the biggest mistake that students make is to give up authenticity at the very beginning of the process. Um, Medicine is so much about, you know, becoming a physician and you have to bring your real self and your whole self with you into that. And in fact, that is what 
we see on a committee side, uh, when someone really comes across well, it's typically because they've pursued things that they love that make them who they are and that are deeply connected to the ways that they see themselves in the world. And so students who sort of go with the checklist and kind of, I'm only pursuing these experiences because I need them to get into medical school, their applications feel that way when we read them. And we say things like, you know, they've done all the right things, but we just don't really feel it for this applicant. Like they're not really coming across. We're not passionate about their candidacy with us, or we can't see how they fit with our mission because they've become such a generic cutout of what they think a pre-med applicant can be Mm -hmm. that we're unable to see who they actually authentically are. Yeah. One of the things that I try to convey to students is as an admissions committee, you're trying to build a community in that cohort of students coming in. And if you don't allow that admissions committee to see who you are outside of the, the quote-unquote checklist that you're doing, then they're, they're not going to know how you fit in with the class, right? I, I, I like to joke that I'm like, okay, we need, we need 10 jocks and 10 nerds and 10 this. And, and if you don't allow yourself to be authentic, then they're not going to know and, and they'll move on to somebody else who shows that. Right. Yeah. And I also think that the mission of the school really matters and applicants are starting to apply to more and more and more schools. I mean, when I first started medical education, I think the average application on the high side, it was like 13 and on the low side, it was five. And now it's more than double that. Mm -hmm. And so I think applicants are not being as thoughtful and discriminating as they should be and thinking about what are my goals in medicine and which schools really fit that. It's like, Desperately wanting to get in and willing to go anywhere. And that also does not help us determine who's the right fit for the mission of an institution, um, because that's what committees are really anchored around is their school's mission as well. Unfortunately, students, the the number one way that students pick their school list is what are my stats and, and what are the school's historic stats? And it's just the wrong way to go about it. Yeah. I mean, the, the medical school admissions requirements only publishes the 10th to the 90th percentile. Yep. Um, and, you know, I was in the room when we were talking about revising it and I fought, fought so hard to say, like, can we please just publish the full range? Because especially the people that are in that zero to 10th really want to know if they're going to get any consideration at all. Yeah. Um, you know, applicants understand, you know, mean, median and mode. And can we please just be more transparent about this? Um, but there was just too much fear that that would actually create you know, more of a backlash or misunderstanding around how those numbers are looked at. So I think keeping that in mind uh, is important, but there's, there's a tremendous range of applicants who get accepted. If you do look at the, the nationally published data that comes out from WMC every year, you'll see that, you know, GPAs go all the way down to below 3.0 and yeah. MCATs go all the way down to, you know, somewhere in the, in below the 490s even. And it's, there's not a lot of students, but it's not impossible. Yeah. Um, and similarly, there are people who are, quote, academically perfect, right? The 3.8s to 4.0s, 517 plus, and about 15% of those people don't get in anywhere in the country. Yeah. I, I talk so, about a student a lot recently. I talked to a, a student who had a 519 and a 3.9 and got zero interviews. And yeah. looking at, at her application, she had zero clinical experience, zero research, and being a physician was just theoretical to her. And right. medical schools just weren't going to take a chance on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I always say, my, my saying about grades is, your grades are not going to get you in. 
because everybody who applies has, you know, across the board, the averages are so high, yeah. but your grades can keep you out. Yeah. And so it, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it just, it, it widens the door of consideration to have good numbers, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be snatched up. Like you will be passed over if you're not the right fit for the school, or even if you get an interview and you don't interview well, or, um, you know, I talked to a student who had published a book and had done her own little book tour and that's all that she did. And then she decided she wanted to go to med school and she literally had like two things on her AMCAS. Wow. And I was like, yeah, this is not, this is not how it works, you know? And, yeah. and I think that there's a lot of confusion around, um, you know, how we weigh the applications and, and what we look at and how we even assess mission fit too. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that, right? If, if you have an applicant who just is an amazing fit for the mission and has done amazing activities, right? Has, has some good clinical experience, has some shadowing, has amazing hobbies and gives back to the community, but doesn't have the stats, right? It's, it's well known that schools can filter out based on, on certain GPAs and MCAT scores. And if you are starting at the top of the list with the highest MCAT and highest GPA and handing out interviews, how is a student like that ever going to get on the radar of an admissions committee? Yeah. So I have seen admissions committees uh, fall in love with applicants that are mission fit in every single way. And maybe they just have one flaw, like their MCAT's not quite high enough, or they have some, you know, blemishes on their GPA early on. And when there is a strong mission fit and an investment, um, committees will, will make offers. And, you know, I've worked with committees who've gone below the 25th percentile on the MCAT. And again, it's not everyone. Um, sometimes there are programs at the schools that might offer uh, an opportunity for applicants to be there in the summer to kind of show who they are, to show their investment. Faculty might get to know those students. And it's faculty members who really have a lot of power to advocate for someone that they genuinely like. And when a faculty member in admissions committee meeting says, you know, this is a student that I want in my small group. I want them in my PBL. Hmm. Um, there's no better you know, testimonial than that, because it means, you know, I feel like I can be personally responsible for this student's success and I want to work with them. Um, versus if they say the opposite, like, you know, I'm not invested in this candidate at all and please don't put them in my small group. Everyone sort of recoils and says, oh, there must be something, yeah. you know, really off-putting about an application. How does a student find out what those programs are and if a school offers it? Um, typically the, they're offered on websites. We used to have, I'm trying to bring this back. I, I'm asking the AMC, uh, if they're willing to do it, maybe in a digital form, but we used to have a big, like summer opportunities book that came out every other year mm -hmm. and they stopped publishing it. I want to say in the mid two thousands. Um, but it was basically an inventory of all these types of programs across medical schools. And, um, you really have to just do some web surfing and look at the websites and it's usually it's offices of outreach and inclusion or recruitment offices. Um, sometimes they're, uh, through what we call a center of excellence grants that are offered through the feds to increase representation in rural communities, or urban communities. Um, so they're usually on the med student med medical school websites. So you got to put some, some legwork in and do some research and maybe make some phone calls and see if there's a, a fit for you at a school that you're interested in. Yeah. For a student who, who maybe they're interested in a school that doesn't have one of these programs, what have you seen potentially a successful applicant do reaching out to an admissions committee and advocating for themselves? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of of students advocating for themselves within the parameters that a school allows. So if there's a way for students to update their application, if there's a way for them to email the admissions office and express their continued interest. Um, at Stritch, at Loyola University, Stritch School of Medicine in Chicago, we had um, kind of open house days that were called Stritch Cafes where applicants could come and kind of do a half day, learn about the school. There'd be a student panel and a tour um, here at, at UC Riverside, we have like an open house once a year and we're working on um, seeing how we can do a better job of accommodating people who want to just stop by and, and learn about the school. Uh, it's not great to just drop in because we usually aren't prepared for that. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> we be, yeah, we try to be as accommodating as possible, but people are like, no, I drove all the way from like Bakersfield, oh. you know, just to talk to you guys. Today. We're like, you maybe should have given us a heads up that you were coming. So yeah, there are open houses, um, conferences where schools might exhibit and they're there looking to teach applicants about their programs and to try and meet prospective students. And those might be at conferences through student-run organizations or medical schools. I know AMSA has them. A lot of the national organizations like APAMSA and SNMA and LMSA uh, host them as well. Yeah, I had a guest on the podcast um about a month or two ago as as this podcast is going to come out and and told her story of of being an amazing applicant, former nurse, uh great experiences, but just like 499 on her MCAT, struggling with that MCAT and and a lot of schools were like like you're a great applicant, but it's not a 500 and so we can't look at you. And um she I I was like you need to go to the UC Davis conference fly out and it was like the week of so she made it out there talked to people and then she went to the AAMC minority fair and mm-hmm. met met some admissions committee uh people there and ended up with two interviews and two acceptances so um it's just you have to get your face out there you have to let people know who you are it's it's hard you get lost in that sea of applications Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things I say in my book is just because we don't choose you doesn't mean you're not great. Yeah. You know, it's not, a lot of the admissions decisions are not as personal as applicants take them to be. Yeah. Um, There are different types of screens or lenses or ways that, that applications are, are filtered or prioritized that have to do with the school's mission. And a lot of times, you know, they're, they're not looking and reading your whole application and saying, no, you shouldn't be a doctor. They might be saying not yet. They might be saying you're not the right fit. They might not want you to go to their school because you just don't match the experiences or they're not able to see how you fit with the the curriculum that they're offering. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest challenges that I have trying to communicate with pre-meds is fighting the assumption that students are competing against each other and that you you can't help your classmate because they're going to steal your spot in medical school. What does that competition look like from the admissions committee side? How do you kind of evaluate for that? Yeah, we really look specifically for people who are team players and who demonstrate that they care about um, others ahead of themselves. Um, one of our admissions committee members was famous for asking, like, what, what have you done for someone else lately? Mm-hmm. And then if you're able to answer the question, then they would ask what else, you know, like, tell me something else that you've done. Um, we look for demonstrated efforts of altruism and endorsement and letters of recommendation is sort of where it comes out that when someone is the kind of person that is a person for others, um, typically their letter writers will emphasize that. Like I can remember an applicant 
that we admitted who had worked at a warehouse for many years en route, taking classes intermittently. And his letter of recommendation was from his supervisor at the warehouse. And it just melted the committee. The committee was just like raising, like, let's just vote this person. We love this person. But the letter said, you know, he's the first one to volunteer to walk uh, other team members to their cars at the end of the day. He will volunteer to work holidays, you know, because he knows other people want to spend those holidays with their families. Like he's always willing to pick up shifts. There's, if there's spills or things going on with customers, like he's the first person to help. And it it was just this really ringing endorsement of the kind of person he was Mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with clinic or, you know, research, you you know, fancy stuff. Scholastic ability. Yeah. Yeah. Just a really, really wonderful human. And that's what we need in medicine. We yeah. need good humans. Yeah, and you can tell from that letter, right? You you, you can't think unless the unless the students are really good. You you know that the student's like, oh, I'm gonna volunteer to do this because I know it's gonna end up in my letter of recommendation and the admissions committees are gonna love this. Yeah, that was just his job. I mean, it was his supervisor at his job and he'd been there for a long time and we often have people like from labs or summer programs or camps and and the, the letter writers will say, you know, this is so bittersweet to, to write this letter for this person because we want to keep them forever, right? Yeah. Like we are so proud that they're moving on and they're trying to do something great in medicine. We know they're going to do good things, but we wish that we could keep them forever because they're an amazing member of our team. A lot of students for letters of recommendations, they'll, they'll ask a question like, oh, I... I the the class that I got an A in, the professor doesn't really know me very well, but I have this other class. I didn't do very well, but I, I have a great relationship. What do you tell students about what you want that letter to reflect to, to help them make a decision on who they should be asking for these letters? Yeah, I always go with the person who knows you better, not the person who's either well-known or the person who's going to be able to tout your grades because we have your transcript. We know how you did in organic chemistry and the letters that say, you know, Sunny came to class every day. She was prepared. She sat in the front. She got 95th percentile, strong student, reasonable social skills, like endorse. That doesn't really tell me anything. I might've guessed all those things yeah. based on your transcript, right? But the one that says, you know, this student really struggled and came to my office regularly and was willing to keep working, 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 until they understood it. And when they did, they helped other people understand. They shared their study guides. Like other people passed the class because this student put forth some grit and really showed other people how to do it. I mean, those are the letters that that we like because we don't we don't care about your grades in the letters, right? Like we care about, again, a, a testament of your character, who you are, your work ethic. Um, that's what we're looking for. I want to know your thoughts on how we can set the the audience to to be kind of our army to help pre-med advisors understand a lot of this more. Because I'll give you an example of a student who uh, I fell in love with. She was super awesome. I met her actually out here at the University of Colorado. She was out here for a wilderness medicine course. And I gave a talk and I was like, you need to be authentic. You need to be yourself. If you love doing something that's not medically related, go do it. Because when it comes to talking about it, you're going to love doing it. And she's like, oh, she's like, thank you. I love playing soccer. I coach soccer. And my my advisor told me to stop doing that because I need to get more involved in research and, and more medically related things. How do we get the students to gently and, and appropriately and professionally help their pre-med advisors get better information out to students? Yeah, I there's such a broad spectrum of advisors out there and I you know I know many of them that are just phenomenal. Yep. And then I've heard 
stories over the years um, of just very discouraging or advisors that just give advice that's really off the mark. I encourage students to have a panel of advisors, Mm -hmm. um, a group of people that they're able to sort of weigh what what advice is this person giving me and how invested are they in my success? How well do they know me? And if I'm getting conflicting advice, then I would definitely encourage them to weigh that, you know, towards their their panel of advisors, especially first-gen students who just may not um, have a lot of alternatives from just the pre-health or pre-med uh, advising office. Because I, I do think advisors are well-meaning and they are trying to advise students wholesale. So they may not individually be able to help students develop um, the best version of themselves just because of what's on their plate. Yeah. So I think they feel obligated to give kind of the basic template and it's up to applicants to take control of that and to feel confident in customizing it. But I mean, I agree, you got to leave with passion because there's just no other way to do it. I love, I love the idea of having a, a board, right? Companies have boards of advisors. Why can't you as a, a pre-med student have a board of, of mentors and advisors? Absolutely. And you know, every mentor is not going to serve the same purpose. You know, it's yeah. really hard to find like the perfect mentor, but you might have one that um, is, you know, very professionally encouraging, one that's helping with personal or spiritual development, you know, one gives you more of the technical aspects and kind of, you know, keeps it real with you. And there's a place for that. Um, So I do, I I encourage people to have a a personal board of advisors, um, even professionally as well, not even just pre-med students, but everyone needs kind of a board of advisors and mentors. Yeah. One of the biggest pain points that I've seen students have recently is getting access to physicians to shadow. When you're reviewing an application, when the admissions committee is reviewing an application, how much weight do you guys put into shadowing and numbers of hours for shadowing? (laughs) It's funny. We were just talking about this the other day with uh, our admissions team. Shadowing tends to be something that there's just so much differential access to it. And it may or may not actually indicate that the applicant understands medicine and kind of knows what they're getting into. If they just follow someone around all day and they're not really allowed to ask questions and they're only observing, they're take, they're not really getting any guided interpretation of, of what they're seeing. Mm. So I think the the takeaway of that preparation area and sort of shadowing or clinical exposure um, or work exposure is, you know, we want to know that you know what you're getting into. So how do you know that? You know, have you grown up in hospitals your whole life because you have personal illness? Have you, you know, helped family members cope with their illnesses and had a lot of exposure that way? You know, whether it's a job or volunteer hours, um, you know, I, that's kind of the goal of that is, is to help us understand that, yes, you're willing to commit your life to this profession, which is a big deal and, and a huge undertaking and expensive. And so I think committees want to know that applicants have a clear picture of what they're getting into, whether that comes from shadowing um, I'm not particularly invested in saying you have to have X number of minimum of, of shadowing hours because I, I personally recognize that not all applicants can do that. Yeah, it's hard. Hopefully, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll have a website. I, I have a team of people working on a website called findshadowing.com where I, I have someone working full-time reaching out to physicians saying, hey, this is a problem. Let's let's help pre-med students. And it's just a, a free resource for students to hopefully use. So. Hopefully I'll, I'll help with that. Um, that's great. The personal statement, right? You were talking about how do you know this, right? How do you understand that this is what you want to do, right? Entering a career where if you 
look at the surveys, it seems like the majority of physicians are burnt out and they don't like their job anymore. How do you know that this is right for you? And you want to sink a couple hundred thousand dollars into this and the opportunity costs and everything else. For the personal statement, students feel like, and they get the advice from advisors or mentors or whoever, right? You have to you have to tell the admissions committee in your personal statement how amazing you are and how dedicated you are to this and how smart you are and compassionate you are. When you read a personal statement, what are you looking for? Yeah. So I have a, a blog um, called Tough Love for Your Personal Statement from a medical school admissions dean. And I was challenged to put it on paper. Like, what do I look for in personal statements? Because every season I do these funny Facebook posts, like your friendly neighborhood admissions dean. And I give like silly things that applicants do. And I give tips. And so everyone's like, you should write a book. So like, that's where the idea for the book came from um, to use like positive vignettes, but also like sort of silly ones or or mistakes that applicants have made. Um, But my friend Alden from Harvard was like, you know what, you should actually write a blog about what people should write about. Like you're really critical. Like, why don't you like put your money where your mouth is? And I was like, you know what, I will. So is that tour for diversity, Alden? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, So, so we, I sat down with my um, then department chair and I, I cracked out this blog, but really a good personal statement includes who you are and why you want to be a physician. And it cannot be someone else's personal statement. So if you could give it to me and I could just tweak a few things and I could turn it in, it's probably not where it needs to be, right? Like it should be personal and it should be the result of your interrogation of yourself so that is a process, not an not an event, right? It, that that is a, a personal um, journey that you have to go through. And if you really can't think of anything to write, you're probably not ready to apply. Yeah. Um, so, and we look at them as we're investing in futures. So as we read them, we think in four years is this applicant emotionally and you know. Um, maturity-wise, ready to deliver bad news or to take care of someone that I love. And if all you wrote about was like that you lost your hockey tournament when you were 11, I'm like, <laughs> I love hmm, that example. Not yeah. there, right? Like, or you wrote about like how sad you were when your cat died. Not there, you know? So, I mean, just we really are. Um, and sometimes applicants just need, I call it just time on the planet. Like they're really headed in the right direction, but they're just not there yet. Um, so... Yeah, I've I love that blog post. I don't, I think that was my first exposure to you and and uh, what you've put out there. And I I just I, I look at personal statements and I'm like, okay, you're you're telling me what you did, but why does it matter, right? Why yeah. is it motivating yep. you to continue down this path? The the reflection that I think you you use that word as well, the reflective kind of thought process of, okay, here's what I'm telling you, right? I'm, I'm going to show you this story of, of what I've been through. And then I'm going to tell you why it's, it's motivating me and why, because of this, I want to be a physician. I think a lot of students miss that part. Yeah. Right. And it's, why does it matter? What have you learned from it? What has surprised you or changed you? And if we can read your personal statement and see how you've grown or, understand how you view something differently and really get a sense of how everything that you're bringing to the table is coming together for you in medicine and that you can't see yourself doing anything else. Um, 
it, you know, that's powerful. I don't like to read statements that are like, I'm nice. I'm compassionate. <laughs> like there's a lot of people that are nice and yeah. compassionate, but they don't necessarily belong in medicine. So like, why, why you, yeah. you have to tell me that. And, uh, you know, personal statements, depending on the school may or may not make that much of a difference, but a really rock and personal statement will never hurt you. So yeah. it's definitely worth taking the time. Um, you'll interview better if you actually take the time to go through that interrogation of yourself and your motivation um, in your personal statement. Because then when you get asked in the interview, so why do you want to be a doctor? You're not going to be like, oh, I didn't know those were going to be asked, right? <laughs> so, why does that matter? I'm a 4.0 student. <laughs> exactly. I can get into medical school, but like, why? Why do you want to do that? And I do think a lot of students see it as prestigious. They see it as something their parents expect of them or a way to make their parents proud. And, you know, honestly, I've been on the other side working with medical students who just don't want to be there. Yeah. And medical school is one of the worst places to be <laughs> if you just don't want it. Honestly, it's yeah. painful as a faculty member and as a mentor of students to see uh, that, that motivation go away or to see things change and people realize like, I'm not really here for myself. You know, I'm here because my parents or I'm here for other reasons. Um, and it's an expensive U-turn as well. Yeah. I had uh, Dr. Layla Mirion from the University of Illinois and she she talked about how there there was a student who right? Great stats, but ultimately like you could just tell she just loved the research and the science and wanted to learn everything and wanted to test everything. And she's like, you have great stats, but I don't want our school to be your testing ground, right? I want you to care about helping people and not just learning everything that you can. Yeah. When you see an application come together what does that look like for for an applicant when they just they just nail it on all cylinders? I think when the applicant's purpose really comes forward front and center and how they've spent their time uh, really is a manifesto of their passions and their identity and it's it's powerful, it's reflective. They don't present themselves as perfect. They don't it, the application comes across as authentic in a way that is not so concerned with how it's going to be judged, but is concerned with passionately and clearly articulating, you know, a personal purpose in medicine. That's what I really like to see. And those applications happen across the number spectrum. And I think that's really the difference in, in getting more consideration is just having, you know, experiences that have helped you grow, that have helped you show what you're passionate about and why. And like you said, why do these things matter? Why have you pursued them? Um, I was talking to early assurance students last week and many of them who didn't get into our program here at UCR had done all sorts of volunteering. And I asked them like, why did you choose to volunteer at this food bank? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and really the answer is, well, I, I know I need service to get into med school, right? But they can't say that. And, and I said, you need to really spend some time asking yourself, why am I taking time to do these things and what does it matter? And do I know anything about homelessness and food insecurity here in the Inland Empire? And like, how is this connected to my journey? How is this connected to medicine? Um, making those connections with some genuine curiosity will go a long way. For the student out there struggling right now, maybe struggling preparing for the MCAT, maybe just got their MCAT score back and isn't where they want to be struggling with their GPA, what words of wisdom do you have as we wrap up here for that student to continue pushing forward and letting them know that their their journey isn't over yet? 
I would say that you are so much more than numbers. Um, and to admissions committees, that is certainly true. Um, I have worked with students over the years with GPAs, even AMCAS verified GPAs, even below 2.0, who are physicians. Um, and if, if medicine, if you feel called to medicine, then you owe it to yourself to stick it out and to do it. Um, if you're doing it for the right reasons and you're the right kind of human, then medicine really needs you. And there's, there are ways to, you know, do additional coursework or post-bac programs. Um, there are ways to improve your scores. And I would just say, don't, don't give up. Um, some of my most favorite students have struggled en route to medical school, but when they got there, they never took it for granted. They worked really hard and they worked hard in a way that showed a, a sense of gratitude for the achievement that it was to just be there. Um, and they, they were much more resilient in the face of challenges in medical school because they had been through stuff before medical school, right? So while other students maybe had never struggled before, um, they knew what to do when things got hard and they had a lot of confidence moving forward and they, and they matched well. They became incredible residents and resident leaders uh, as well. So don't give up. Sunny, where can students go and find more about your thoughts and your musings on medicine and, and your upcoming book? Um, I will try to put it out on my Twitter. I'm really bad at tweeting. I need to do a better, <laughs> a better job of it. But my Twitter is at Dr. Nakai. Uh, hopefully I'll put some stuff out there. And then, um, you know, I'm currently at UC Riverside School of Medicine. So hopefully I can also use that platform to get more information out. Um, I have a couple of blogs on reflectivemeded.org um, right now, and I'm hoping to continue to get more out there for, for developing students to help with the journey. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to join me today. And hopefully we can, we can help move the needle for these pre-meds getting, getting more positive information and more accurate information out there to them. Definitely. Thank you. All right, so there you have it. Again, Dr. Sunny Nakai from University of California, Riverside. Please go check her out on Twitter. Go check out her blog over at reflectivemeded.org. And stay tuned for her upcoming book as soon as it is available. I'll let you all know when it is because I bet you it's going to be amazing. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, a little behind the scenes from someone who is very plugged in to the medical school admissions world. And I hope you take a lot of these lessons that Dr. Nakai talks about and really take them to heart. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. 